It goes, actually, it's a couple years in planning uh, when we bring a, a great speaker like Trey. Uh, preachers are very busy, and so we try to make sure we get into their schedule. And uh, our Morris Committee, again, has done a great job uh, selecting and preparing the way and uh, making sure that Trey has had a, a wonderful Amarillo experience. Everything but the weather. Sorry about that, Trey. Uh, we can't manage that, but we can we can pray to God to help him with that. So let's uh, offer a blessing bef- on the food before we uh, continue on. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this food. We thank you, Lord, for your provision. We thank you that you're the God who watches over us and leads us. Lord, we do pray for rain. Uh, We pray that you would bring some moisture to our land, whether that comes in the form of rain or snow. Anyway, we'd love to get it. So, Lord, we pray you'd bring that, but also pray, Lord, for your continued guiding hand in each one of our lives. We also pray, Lord, for your guiding hand in Trey's life as he continues to lead Grace Presbyterian Church in Houston. Thank you for that wonderful sister church uh, that's in the same presbytery with us that we get to co labor and the gospel together. And thank you for Trey's time with us. May you continue to guide him as he speaks to us. Lord, give us ears to hear that we might learn more of who you are and who you're calling us to be. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son, who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen. Real quick, if you're not familiar uh, with our speaker today, uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Trey Little, the right Reverend Dr. Trey Little, distinguished preacher, uh, more is preaching. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. That's right. Whatever. Keep coming. Yeah, that's right. He did open. He did get to throw a uh, opening pitch at the Astros game uh, on the World Series here. That's pretty good, uh, I have to say. I'm a Red Sox fan. He constantly reminds me that the Astros beat the Red Sox this year. So I think it's a sign of the apocalypse that the Astros won the World Series. I lived in Houston for three years, and they went to the World Series and got swept. So I was like, it's never going to happen for the Astros. But anyway, Trey's a, law, a lifelong Houstonian, actually. He uh, grew up in Houston and uh, and then was in the bond business for a long time, uh, making good money. He's an A&M graduate. Um, I married a Longhorn. And yet we're still friends, so uh, hopefully you can overlook that. If there's any Aggies out here, whoop, you know, or whatever y'all say, I don't know. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, and then Trey realized God's call. I don't want to take all this thunder, but went to Austin Seminary and uh, heard God's call to serve in Albany, Texas, uh, outside of Abilene. And he was, woo, yeah. And uh, you've ever been to Albany? It's a wonderful community. And they, they were in our old presbytery, Palador Presbytery, so we all serve together. And uh, Trey and I actually have been in a covenant group. Uh, when you graduate from seminary, uh, they encourage pastors to get in covenant group with other pastors from other communities that you might pray for each one another and encourage one another. And so Trey and I have been meeting in a covenant group with uh, two other guys for uh, 15 years now. And uh, we meet about twice a year, have a great time gathering. And he's just a man who loves God and loves Jesus a great deal. And, and we went on a mission trip to Kenya together, had a great time serving the Lord. And uh, he most recently was in Haiti. And he really does bleed missions. Uh, he really wants to make a difference for the kingdom of Christ. And uh, after Albany, he heard God's call to First Press San Antonio, which is where my wife uh, grew up and her family's still there. And so we'd get to see Trey regularly uh, when we'd visit San Antonio. It was always good to see him. But then God called him uh, back to his home church uh, where he went to high school and where he was after uh, college, Grace Presbyterian Church in Houston. And he now leads that wonderful congregation. It's the uh, third largest Presbyterian church in Houston area, uh, probably fourth largest in the state. Great church, uh, great doing a great work. It's off on uh, Beltway 8 and Westheimer. It's kind of West Houston. Now it's Central Houston because of the way Houston's growing to the West. But uh, we're so grateful that Trey was here. And just so you know, we didn't just bring my buddy here. I actually gave the committee uh, several preachers to look at, and it was unanimous that they wanted Trey. And actually, uh, when I first asked Trey, he's like, I'm kind of busy this year. What about next year? And so we've had to wait two years for Trey, but he's well worth the wait. So please join me in welcoming Trey Little. Well, Howard took so long to talk, I'd like to close us in prayer. 
<laughs> Golly, I mean, he said it's over at 12.30, I got to change everything. Oh, well, I'll figure out something. I, uh, I did throw out the first pitch at an Astros game, and I want you all to know that it did. It was a high heater, kind of brushed him back a little bit. It was over the plate, wasn't in the dirt. I was able to report to work at church uh, the Sunday after. I was thankful that I didn't embarrass myself or the church or the Lord, but I did, uh, I did manage to make it over the plate. But I, uh, I'm after this, I'm done here. I'm going to go. Um, I've got my uh, maitre d' uh, duties at the Italian restaurant. Uh, but it's so fun, and I'm just going to just tell you right now that it has worked to perfection uh, because people just don't know what to do when you wear something that is out of the norm. And I'm not going to call y'all out, those of you that have already come up and had some sort of little comment about, uh, did you not know that you were in Amarillo? Did you not get the memo on our dress code? Did Well, what in the world is all of this? About? Oh, well, that looks cute. I mean, what? everyone, you can't hardly help yourself because I showed up in a tuxedo. Now, all I'm going to tell you is that what you wear matters. What you wear matters. And I normally don't don my tuxedo unless it is a big event and you get invited somewhere and you uh, somebody had orchestrated something uh, spectacular that you're either going to celebrate or you're going to, um, you know, raise money or you get. But it's always a kind of a big event. And so I usually don't put on my tux unless it's a big event. But every time that I put on my tux and especially when I do something like this, it really makes you scratch your head. And y'all are going to go, he's a nutcase from Houston, distinguished no more. But then I thought, well, wait a minute. Until I get on that plane in that Amarillo airport, I am still the distinguished preacher. And so now I look distinguished, do I not? Right. But what I'm saying, what I want you to realize is that what you wear matters. What, what people take note of that. And again, it just could not have worked any better than it did between when I walked out here and even the people in the hotel. I mean, the people, uh, Howard and I went to a place uh, called, uh, what's it called? Calico, Calico County. He wanted to show me it. Well, I walked in there and I mean, I'm, it's a wonder I didn't get beaten up in the back. You know, these guys are having... Big guys. I mean, I can hold my own. I, I mean, I can do it. But these big guys and I'm, they're having a conversation and I walk through there and I just saw the guy just stop talking and then look at me and look at me. And then I'm sure he went back and said, what's that guy's deal? Like, what's he doing here? So what we wear matters. Never forget that what we wear matters. People take note of our wardrobe. What we wear sends a message. And you guys, it's already happened to you today. And so now we got to begin to try to make sense of why in the world that I would put a tuxedo in my travel wear to come to Amarillo when I could have brought my cowboy boots and my jeans and been a heck of a lot more comfortable and would have fit right in. And so I will say some more about that in a moment. But I happen to believe this is a big event. I happen to believe that what is happening right here for such a time as this in the city of Amarillo at First Presbyterian Church Amarillo, I think it's a big event. And for me to be a part of it, it's not a big event because I'm a part of it. It's a big event because Jesus is a part of it. And so I happen to believe it's a big event and I think it was worthy of dressing up for. 
But I also think it's important that as we go from here today, as I as I get back on my private plane uh, that has Southwest Airlines on it, I'm going to... Uh, which, by the way, every flight from Houston, Houston to Dallas, Dallas to Amarillo, I sat in the very back row in the very last seat. And I thought, if I just got up and stood up in front of the plane and said, I am going to the distinguished, I'm the distinct, maybe I could move up front. I don't know. Anyway, so we, this is a big event. Because many of us are going to go, okay, well, and particularly the Morris uh, Distinguished Preacher uh, Series team, many of everybody's going to go, okay, boy, I'm glad that's over. Now we're done and we're moving on. But the whole thing about what this is all about is that this is just the beginning. Whenever we get up and walk out of here in the next 30 minutes or whatever, you got full bellies on that Dexter barbecue, which, by the way, that is money. It is the best is right. I don't we should have had that every meal that I was here, but that was really, really good. Uh, So thank you for that. But we're going to get up. This is not the end. This is the beginning. And so today is a big event. And what I happen to believe is that every day that you have a chance to breathe breath on this earth, it's a big event. And I think it's important that every day we get up, we need to think about what it is that we wear. The, the bulletin I saw yesterday, and it's y'all's tagline, it's uh, where, um, where grace changes everything. Where grace changes everything. That's what we're about. And so what we're talking about today is how that grace is going to go out into the workplace and change everything. And so what I believe is that what we wear matters. Now let me say a little bit more, I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute, but let me say this first. Uh, Howard touched on it a little bit. I want you to know that this, this um, following Jesus thing has not always been my gig. Uh, I have not always walked the straight and narrow path. I have, not always, uh, I have not always put Jesus first in my life. I did not grow up in the life of the church. Um, I really started going to church when I was about 14 years old, and I started going to a youth group at Grace Presbyterian Church, which is now the church that I serve as senior pastor. And I started going to that church, not because I was seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ, but because I was seeking a relationship with Carolyn Wood. And she was in the youth group and she sang in the choir and she was a knockout. I don't need to go anymore with that. I don't have to say anything, you know, whatever. But we um, but over the course of time, I started to uh, get involved in that church and I ended up getting married in that church. And my kids ended up getting baptized in that church and. And it was uh, from about 1991 until about 1996 that uh, the Lord had started to really do some work in my life. As Howard said, when I got out of college, I went to Texas A&M. I got a business degree in marketing and a lot of finance. And and I had dreams that I was going to be a bond salesman. So I sold fixed income securities to banks and savings and loans and money managers. It was a high, high... uh, High energy, high, I'm kind of a high energy guy anyway, so the business was great for me because I could just, I mean, I could just go all the time and do whatever I want to do. And and it tended to um, result in uh, direct benefits in terms of how much money I made. So it was a 100% commission job. I thought this is what I'm going to do forever. I loved it. By the age of 28 years old, I was a senior vice president in my investment firm. I was making more money in a month than my classmates who I graduated with, with were making in a year. And I was, I was climbing that corporate ladder. I was thinking, this is great. I'm going to retire at the age of 40. I'm going to have all this money in the bank. I'm going to play golf every day. I'm going to hunt when it's hunting season. I'm going to take care of my family. Everything's going to be great. In about 1995 or so, 
uh, from 91 to, to 96 or so, my wife and I had uh, uh, volunteered. We got married in 91. We volunteered with the youth on Sunday nights. I didn't know Genesis from Revelation, but my wife said we were going to do it, so we did it, and I could love on the kids, and we had a great time. In about 1995, the then director of uh, youth ministries came up to me um, and and said, have you ever thought about doing this full-time? And, and, and what she meant was, have you ever thought about doing youth ministry full-time? Of course, I looked at her like a dog, you know, that tilted head dog look, you know. And I, I go, um, did I need to get a business card out and show you? Did you forget that I'm a senior vice president? Did you forget that I'm somebody? Like, I am something. And you're asking me to give up all that something so I can work with these snot noses, ungrateful, loser kids? I didn't really say that. I thought it though. No, I'm kidding. Um, and so I, so I, so I go. No, I've never thought about doing this. Like, why in the world would I do this? I, she goes, Well, I'm just telling you that there is a uh, there. The the people that are doing it right now are are leaving uh, to go to seminary, and the kids love you, and I think you'd be great. Incidentally, the people that were doing it at the time, who they were wanting me to fill the position, uh, happened to be a former youth of your very own Murray Gossett. So I said, no, I'm not, I, I'm not, I can't do it. Like I'm, I am somebody, I'm a senior vice president. I am, I mean, I, people dress up to be around me, you know, like I'm trying to, anyway, so I go, okay, well, I'll talk to them. So I go and talk to this good, uh, good Presbyterian way. There's a committee put together. I meet with the committee. They talk, lo and behold, they end up going, um, you're our guy. I go, I am not your guy. They go, no, we want you to be our guy. We want you to be the associate um, director of high school ministries. Uh, at Grace. And, and here's the great news, Trey. We're going to pay you $26,000 a year. God, I mean, how, do you, how else do you think I wear clothes like this? I had a house. I had a wife. I had a baby. I had a country club membership. I had a car payment. I had big dreams. I had whatever. And they laid it on me. And I went, you've got to be kidding me. This makes no sense. I am in the business world. I am in the workplace. People thought I was Christian. They know I went to church, but I wasn't really living to make Jesus visible there. I had some, I, I, was living, I was living that life of chasing that dollar and thinking that's what it was all about. And once I got that dollar all filled up and those accounts all made, then, then it was going to be all right. And I was going to be able to slow down and give my life to Jesus and really live. But Jesus had another plan. Over that period of time that I was climbing that corporate ladder, he began to bring me to my knees and begin to realize, uh, make me realize that, that it was him that I needed to get to know. It was his word that I needed to study. And I believe at the end of the day, what ends up happening is that the Lord finally figures out a way to get a hold of you when you can't listen to him. And so what happened to me was they offered me this position. I said, it makes no sense. We're going to pray about it. My wife and I prayed about it. We said, we're going to go on this mission trip. We go on a mission trip to uh, Reynosa, Mexico with a bunch of youth from the church. The guy that is speaking at the end of uh, at the service is, is telling the story about uh, Andrew and Peter. And Jesus goes up to Andrew and Peter and he says, drop your nets and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He's talking to youth, not adults. You understand what I'm saying? So he says that and he says, you know... You know what the next verse in the Bible says? He goes, well, let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that Andrew asked Jesus how much it would pay. It doesn't say that Peter asked Jesus if he could keep the country club membership if he followed him. It doesn't say that Andrew asked if there's insurance included in this whole drop your nets and follow me. And he goes down this entire list of everything that my wife and I had asked, wondered, questioned, said aloud or said only in our own minds. He said, no, you know what the next verse says in the, in the Bible? It says, at once, they dropped their nets and followed him. 
I can't even I can't even not cry now. That was 1995. I can't make that stuff up. That was a Friday night. We left the mission trip on Saturday, got back to Houston. I went into my office on Monday morning and resigned as a senior vice president in the investment firm and started two weeks later at the church as the associate high school youth director making 26K a year. Oh, and by the way, guess what? The Lord provided. And then he calls me to seminary. And then everybody's scratching their head again. And then we go to seminary. And then we go serve in a little old town called Albany, Texas, when everybody goes, dude, you need to be in the big city in a big church. And I go, well, that's awful kind. But this is where I feel called to go. This is where we feel called to go. So you keep making those decisions. You keep doing that. So why is it significant about what you wear? It's significant about what you wear because you never know where the Lord's going to take you. And you never know what that is going to look like. So oftentimes we get that invitation about that black tie affair so we can get ready. But everywhere we go could be a black tie affair in the making, in the planning by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So when we talk about taking grace into the workplace, it matters what we wear. Colossians chapter 3. In my Bible, Colossians chapter 3, the heading says, "Living living as those made alive in Christ. That's what we've really been talking about for the whole time that I've been here, is living as though we have been made alive in Christ. And you know that it says down in verse, uh, uh, like beginning in verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with. When was the last time you thought about the wardrobe that was hand-designed, hand-put-together, hand-chosen for you? By the living God. Every one of us got up this morning and I probably, not wisely, I got up and said, now that's going to look good on me today. And I put this on. Now, oh, y'all look good. But I'm over there in a foreign land hoping I get taken to the airport and I show up in a tuxedo. But every day we wake up and we've got a choice we get to make about, so what am I going to wear today? I'm kind of in the mood for red. Valentine's Day on Wednesday, I'm going to dawn some of that. Whatever. You get, have, how many times do you wake up and say, God, what do you got picked out for me to wear today? Because today when I walk out of my house, today when I walk into my workplace, today when I walk into that restaurant, today when I walk into that church, wherever it is, I, I'm, I'm taking grace with me. And grace, oh, I remember about grace. Grace changes everything. And so when was the last time that you woke up and when, before you got out of bed, you go, Lord, what do, what do you got for me to wear today? What would you pick out for me to wear today? Well, you know what it says in the Word of God? It says that, that what he picked out for you to wear today is some compassion. It says right here in Colossians, he picked out compassion. He picked out kindness. He picked out humility. He picked out gentleness. He picked out patience. That's what he picked out for you to wear. I went to Texas A&M University. I, had, I was in a fraternity at, at, at A&M, and there's a guy. He's still around today. He comes to my church periodically. Most of my fraternity brothers come to church periodically. <clears throat> It'll soak in in a minute. 
But we had this deal in, in college where every time we would see it, and it came from a line in a movie, and I can't remember now what the movie was, but we did it every time we see each other, and we still do it every time we see each other. But we walk up to each other, and we shake hands, and then we do that, you know, that man hug where you kind of come in one hug, one slap on the back, and then you step back. Well, you can't be here too long because people start to chat about what you're doing. So you get a handshake, a back, and kind of rip, and then you come back up. So we would do that every time, and then, and then we would step back, and we would look down at each other's shoes, and... And, and, I, and I would go, I admire your shoes. That's it. It didn't matter what. I admire your shoes. So he came to church not too long ago. And sure enough, we shook hands. We did the man slap or whatever step back. I admire your shoes. Now, when you think about the Lord picking out your road robe and you're putting on compassion. Imagine if you're in your workplace and people see your compassion. You don't, have to, you don't have to get in your workplace and, and stand up on your chair and go, by the way, I work in this place and the only reason I'm being compassionate is because I am sold out for Jesus. If you don't like it, get out of my office. You don't have to do that. People go, I can't do that. I can't talk. Well, don't tell them that. Put on some compassion and let them see it. When you're kind in the workplace or you're kind in the church don't tell them, you don't have to tell them right then it's because, because Jesus is kind to you. Just be kind to them. People don't know what to do with somebody that has made a bazillion dollars like Dexter at Dexter's Barbecue. <laughs> they don't know what to do with it if, 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 you, if you are, are humble. You, people don't think that the only way you can make it in life is, is to look out for number one. What if the only way that you can make it out in life is to realize that you're second? Hmm. So when you wake up in the morning, you think about, well, Lord, what have you got picked out for me to wear today? And so if you think about it, imagine you, the, the word of God says, how beautiful are the feet are those who bring good news. Let that play over in your head a little bit and think about what it would look like if somebody looked down and said, I admire your shoes. Because when you wake up in the morning, you go, man, I just don't know if I want to go out there. You just, you just look down at those hoofs of yours and go, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And you get up out of bed and you put on that compassion and that humility and that kindness. And then you look down and you lace up that gentleness and that patience. And you realize that it's a big event today because you get to go out into the world and let the world know in your workplace or wherever else that grace changes everything. And imagine if you did, I admire your shoes. And I admire your shoes. And then you don't maybe have to wear a stinking tux for somebody to go, do you know where you are? <laughs> and what is it all about? But my hunch is, is that whenever I get out of this place today and I get on that plane, my hunch is you're not going to forget the fact that that goofy guy from Grace Pest Houston wore a tux to the lunch. The question is, will you remember what that goofy guy from Houston that wore a tux to lunch talked about? And what he talked about is what we wear matters. When we get dressed every morning, we get dressed as, as people that are living as those who have been made alive in Christ. But he also talks about not only that compassion and that kindness and that humility and that gentleness and that patience, but he also talks about forgiveness. So often what messes up an outfit faster than anything is when that barbecue sauce just kind of dribbles right down that white shirt. Or whenever that spaghetti sauce just gets splattered right on there. And then you're going, you, you don't really look as good now. 
And so now what they're doing is they're no longer looking at the touch, but they're going to, you got a little something right here. Right? So what are they doing? They're pointing out the stain. It's no longer the whole outfit. They're just pointing out the stain. And if we don't have forgiveness in terms of what we put on every day when we go into that workplace, because people are going to let us down. Has anybody that you ever worked with let you down? Anybody, anybody in this church ever let you down? We're flawed, broken people. And the sooner that we realize that, the sooner we uh, will embrace the need of forgiveness. And it says in the word to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. But I'm going to tell you what, when somebody hurts you and cuts you deep, it's hard to do that. And I've been in a season in my life where I have to try to do that. Where the Lord has brought me to my knees and the only way that I could do that is because I knew that what he had picked out for me to wear was something different than what I wanted to show. What I wanted to show would have been a great win for my flesh. What I wanted to show was how, how I could say things that weren't very nice or what I wanted to show was to do this or do that. But, but if I'm going to think about living a life as one who's been made alive in Christ, then I've got to think about that he picked out something else for me to wear. He picked out compassion. He picked out uh, kindness. He picked out humility. He picked out gentleness. He picked out patience. But he also picked out forgiveness because he forgave me in all those situations where I have been a mess and I have made a mess of things. And all I had to do was come to the feet of Jesus and I had to lay it before him. And he forgave me in order that I might be a person who forgives. That's part of what we wear when we go out, even when it hurts, even when it makes no sense. And if there's anything that the evil one wants to use to be an obstacle in how we progress in our workplace, our home place, our life, our church or whatever, is to kind of have that spirit of resentment within us. But whenever that spirit of resentment and that spirit of bitterness is in us and not that spirit of forgiveness and humility, then that builds up and it builds up and it builds up and it will eventually erupt and it will make a mess that a dry cleaners cannot get out. So what we wear matters. There's a great book out there for those of you that are actually here and that are in the workplace. But there's a great book out there called um, uh, Workplace Grace. And they say that the, the, the or what the premise of the book is basically is that for followers of Christ to become a spiritual influence at work, they suggest that it's uh, that it's competence plus character plus concern. And then they think that that uh, competence, character, concern, they think that equals spiritual influence. And so they define competence as doing our best work uh, whenever we're really giving it all we got, that 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 builds respect. So when people begin to see this competence about you, not this ego, but this competence about you, and we do our best work, they, they say that that builds respect. And then that character comes, again, not from standing on the, the chair necessarily and saying, oh, by the way, have I told you lately that, that I'm an elder, that I go to church, that I sit on the first pew, that I give at least 3% of my income every year. <laughs> Just trying to help you out a little bit with stewardship. Yeah, <laughs> Character. 
character is reflecting uh, Christ's character uh, builds trust. So when we reflect that, when we wake up in the morning and we look in that and go, what do you got for me to put on today? Whenever we put on that wardrobe that he has knit together, that he has picked out just for us, custom made for us, whenever we carry that, wear that into wherever we're going into the workplace, then that character, Christ's character, that begins to, to, to be a conduit of trust for the people that we work around, for the people that we're around. And then the concern is that that just doing those small acts of kindness um, to people, again, not looking for the glory, not trying to point anything, but you're just doing those small acts of kindness and that makes people want to listen because they've seen your compassion, they've seen your character, they've seen that that you you care about them and they think that when those things happen consistently in the workplace that you become a spiritual influence not having once said Now, I don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can't say Jesus. But the excuse that I hear most of all from people about why they are not going into their workplace and taking grace into their workplace is because it's risky. It's because if they were to do that, they're going to get written up by their HR people. And some of that is actually very true. It's very true. So it may not be the time for you and your workplace to go, hey, by the way, we're going to have a Bible study at 7 a.m. in the conference room and we're studying Leviticus. I hope everybody will come. (laughs) But you could undoubtedly be of spiritual influence in your workplace just by what you wear to work every day. Just by what you wear. So I want you to think about it. All right, let me give you a story because I think we're going to do Q&A and I know I got a... Y'all had John and Nancy Ortberg here? Huh? So Nancy Ortberg, I don't know what she talked about when she was here. Surely she wasn't as good as I've been, but... (laughs) Sorry, I thought my mic was off. My bad. Uh, Did she talk about her book, uh, Unleashing the Power of Rubber Bands, when she was here? Do you know? She did. Did she tell that story? It's a great story. Well, I'm going to tell it anyway, because I tell it better than she wrote it. I'm kidding, y'all. Golly, I'm kidding. I apparently forgot to put on my belt of humility today. Uh, So she, in her book, Unleashing the Power of Rubber Bands, it's a great book on leadership. To date, it's still one of my very favorites that I've ever read. But but she was she does consulting, as you all know. And so she was telling the story about uh, that that one of these consulting visits that she had made, and it was um, she'd been working with this um, large school district out in the L.A. area, and 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 so what they were talking about was vision. And she said that they did something unusual that they don't normally do, and they started to break up the. Uh, all of the uh, employees of the school district, and they said they broke them up kind of in their categories. So the, so the administrators were with the administrators, the principals with the principals, the, psych, uh, the psychologists with the you know, teachers with the whatever. And, and then she also broke up the people that did the um, uh, facilities and maintenance. And so she was going to give them this assignment, and, and she was a little leery about these guys that were facilities and maintenance. Because she started to go, well, I mean, really, what can... I mean, these guys are, you know, toilets and gardens, right? It's kind of, or, 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 or uh, landscape, you know, mowing the grass and fixing the toilets or whatever. Now, I'm, anybody in here that does facilities and maintenance, I'm not saying that. I'm just telling the story Nancy Ortberg said. <laughs> 
but you come out winning in the end. So she said, so what she did was she said, okay, everybody's going to go out and everybody's going to um, uh, begin to just kind of think about vision. They want to talk about what they're doing and so on and so forth. And, and then she you know, saw that table of facilities and maintenance guys and, and she was a little bit leery, about it, uh, leery of them because she was going like, what can these guys really have to say about vision? I mean, bless their hearts, you know, that kind of thing, how we do in the church, you know. Y'all don't ever say that in Amarillo, I'm sure, but, you know, you just bless their heart, which really means I can't wait to tell you what I really want to tell you about them, you know. We just feel sorry for them. But anyway, so, so she goes up to these guys, and, and, um, and she says, because she thinks she's going to come alongside of them and kind of help them a little bit. And she goes, well, you know, have you guys, uh, have you guys got anything for me in regards to vision or whatever? And the guy, the leader at the table, he goes, well, uh, I've been thinking about this idea for, for the past 25 years. And she's going, uh, what? And then he proceeded to say something to her that when Nan- that Nancy writes in the book, she, she said something, he, he said something to her that she said she wrote down and she continues to carry in her wallet even to this day. And what he said to her was, we work to create and maintain an environment that inspires greatness. These are the facilities and maintenance guys. We work to create and maintain an environment that inspires greatness. And she said when he said that, all the rest of the team around the table were going, yeah, that's exactly right. Like we don't, we don't plant flowers for the sake of planting flowers. We create gardens that inspire greatness. Whatever it was they were doing. And in my mind, in, in many ways, that kind of made me think that these guys are thinking about what they wear matters. People around our world, around our culture, are not always going to give us the benefit of the doubt. People aren't always going to show us respect because of some title we have, like distinguished preacher. People aren't going to always go, I want to hear what you say, but people are going to watch us People are going to watch what we do with our lives, with our actions, with our words. And I guarantee you that people will, will, will see what you wear. You want to have some fun? You want to have some fun? When I leave I, tomorrow, you go get a tuxedo. Men, you go get a tuxedo and you wear that to your workplace and see if you don't have something to talk about. Ladies, you put on that dress, that long, you know, sparkly dress or whatever, and they're going to be going, what are you doing? And then, well, you know, it's funny you should ask. And then you just pull up a chair. I mean, it's incredible. But people are going to watch you. People are going to wonder, so what are you going to show them? How are your, how are your feet going to be beautiful in the midst of just the dirtiness and messiness of life? How are they going to see that humility? How will you work to create and maintain environments that inspire? Do we really believe that grace changes everything? So I guess I better stop. Is that all right? Any questions? That's it I got. God bless you. You're awesome. I've had a ball. Yeah, we've uh, been blessed to have Trey share with us uh, three times now. If you've got any questions for Trey, we'll kind of open up for Q&A. You raise your hand, I'll hand you the microphone. Uh, keep them brief, though, the questions. That'd be great. Okay. What I'm wondering, I lis- listen to our sermons a lot online. Can we listen to your sermons online also? <laughs> you can. You can. I highly recommend those at like 1030 at night when you can't sleep. 
That's really the best time to listen to those. You'll be out like a light. But on our, on our website, uh, yes, on our website, gpch.org, um, you can uh, listen and you can watch. Other questions? One of the your predecessors, not quite as distinguished. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Can you was, say that again? Was, I, was, I think the mic was going in and out. No, he was just younger. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you noticed. I got my hair done before I left. <laughs> but uh, he was a, if I remember right, he was a sociology professor and talked about trends. And, and one of the points I remember was, in the 50s, there was a high watermark of, of consensus. There was no controversy in HR, like you mentioned, because everybody, if they weren't Christian, it just wasn't as modern and diverse. And, and can you? I think sometimes Christians on Facebook and places like that report things like that as the world is hostile to us, where I think mm, maybe we just need to be a little bit more wise and, and work with the cards dealt to us on a sociological level. Can you speak yeah. to that a little bit and not getting offended at, at, at how there's boundaries maybe that weren't before? I, well, I totally believe that's true. And I, I, I believe that <clears throat> I, I, I think I said this at one of our dinners while I've been here, but I totally believe it's true in terms of culture. And I, you know, culture always gets the blame. I think the church, the church needs to own some of it too. But um, I think that the that used to, yes, there you went to church on Sunday. You went to uh, the church supper and the Bible study on Wednesday, you, you know, that's just what people did. And I don't know that that's really the case anymore. And so then trying to, you know, be politically correct or do all the things that we're trying to do, then, you know, it's, you now can't really say that anymore. Like as a boss, you can't say that. And even to the point now, it, um, one of the things that I've had to do at Grace and we're trying to do with this social media is that we have people that are on our staff that are on social media. Not a shocker. I have chosen not to be um, because I don't, A, have the time to do it, to be on Facebook or Instagram. My daughter tells me I should be on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, so I tweet things every once in a while, but, my, you know, but I don't have time. Plus, I don't, wanna, I don't want the stuff I read to steal my joy. You know, I don't want to spend what limited time I have to be looking at going, well, you know, he messed this up or, the, or did you hear? Well, I don't want to do that. But I have my staff, they're on social media. And so whenever they start to put something out there, which is totally their right, uh, fr- freedom of speech to put something out there about politics or about this or that or posting a picture of when they were, you know, had a, a, a helmet on, you know, and chugging beer or whatever it is they're doing, you know, that's all their right. They're adults and you got freedom of speech. But what I've had to do at my church is we've had to uh, get a social media policy which is the silliest thing in the world. Because you're just going, these are adults, but the reason I've had to do that is because my expectation is is that we're living to make Jesus visible if we're going to associate ourselves with Grace Presbyterian Church. So you're an employee of this church. Yes, you have all the rights in the world to have your opinions or whatever. All I'm asking you is, is that what you post on social media for the rest of the world to see, you're thinking about the fact that you are representing Christ first, and then Grace Presbyterian Church, of which you are an employee, of which we are trying to live to make Jesus visible. So I think there's tension in all of that. And so that's why I think in the workplace, for me, one of the things that I think is missing is that we almost got to be a little bit stealthier. Is that a word, stealthier? We got to be a little bit stealthier when it comes to how we are infecting 
uh, the people around us with the gospel. Because if we don't, then we're going to get sued or we're going to get yelled at or we're going to get shut down before it's all over. So the reason why I chose to say, what are we putting on is because we can do that every day where we are. And then people start to wonder. And when people start to wonder, then they start to ask questions. And then you get to take them to lunch and go, so here's, here's I mean, this is where it is. This is, it's, it's he who lives within me is why I'm this. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Let me tell you a little bit about how my Redeemer lives. Let me tell you a little bit about what you have in terms of a future through a relationship with him. So then it becomes a bit more stealthy. As opposed to, um, you know, the Bible study could come. But there's a lot of people that are right you up if you do that. But I think what's missing is that we are not, we're not intentionally being stealthy in the places of work. The only time we really want to do that is around here or around people that we know are already Christians. And, and he said... He, how are you going to be a witness if you're only going to witness to the people that you already know love the Lord? Think about that. Oh, yeah, I talked about Jesus all the time with that guy sitting next to a church. What about the guy that you don't know? How, how is that advancing the kingdom? How is that sharing the gospel? So how are you going to do that? Well, figure out what you're wearing. Does that help? Any other questions for Trey? Yes. Carrie. I have a couple of 20-year-old 20 20-year-old 20 daughters and I see a big mixing of religions in their friends and you know all religions are good they're as long as you mean well that sort of thing. I was wondering how how's a good approach to to that. So I have a 23-year-old and a 19-year-old. Um pastor pastor's kids, which I, A, never wanted to be a pastor, never thought I'd be a pastor, and then I wanted to break the, the curve on the perception of pastor's kids and, you know, whatever else, and I don't know, I, and then I started thinking, well, golly, I know what a maniac I was when I was tw- 19 and 20 and all that, and so now I'm kind of, you know, so I've tried to let my kids I want my kids to own their faith. I don't want my kids to have their faith because their daddy is a pastor. And so what I've gotten to is that, you know, my son that's 19 is having a ball in college and I'm going, well, I did too. There's a side of me that would love to say my my son is leading the charge for the gospel in Oxford, Mississippi, where every girl is pretty and they don't serve any alcohol to people underage. And that is a lie. So why, why not live into reality, but knowing that what I've tried to be consistent with in, in my life is I've tried to make Jesus visible to my son. He knows Jesus, but he's being 19. My daughter, 23, has a heart for the Lord. Uh, I think, obviously, there's a little bit of different maturity between 19 and 23. Um, but I know all I can do is, is try to model it in my life. Try to show them that even though I love Jesus and even though I'm a pastor, um, I'm a mess too. I don't get it all right, but I serve and love the one who does. Show them a little bit about what grace really means. So in situations in my life of raising my kids up, um, there's been times that we've had to sit down and go, you know, that you kind of hooked that one into the trees. We need you, you need a mulligan. And then trying to let them really experience what it means to have grace, but also let them really see what it means to, to have consequences of choices. 
Um, we've had to navigate some of that a little differently in the past 12 months or so. So all that to say, when they're, what I've had to have conversations with other parents is, and myself, really, I mean, just thinking about it, when they're exploring all these other religions, as a mother that loves Jesus and wants her kids to follow Jesus, you, I, I would think that you would still want them to claim that as their own. Not because you are. So my advice, at least initially, would be to say, you know what, well, tell me about that. Well, what do you, where do you learn about that? And then be at a place to, to be able to maybe come back and say, well, let me just tell you what the gospel says. And here's who Jesus is. And, and here's the promises of what the word says. Now, at the end of the day, you have to make your choice. You've got to decide. But so you engage them. So part of this generation wants to be able to make some decisions. They want to have some ownership. They're doing some research. So, so our tendency would be going, You're, are you kidding me? I took you to church every morning and Joe taught you Sunday school every day. And you're telling me you want to know something about X, Y, or Z? That's our, that's our tendency. Or, oh gosh, I'm going to have to add you to the prayer ch- chain of those women in the church. Because they'll start praying and we're just gonna, we're going to just have a hedge of protection around you. So you, That's what we tend to do. But what if you were able to go, really? Well, I mean, tell me, what are you learning about that? Now, you might have to fake it a little bit and then like go and figure out something yourself. But you're at least giving them uh, some sort of respect that you think they actually have a brain. So what you ultimately want to do is for the Lord to penetrate that heart. So you come back to him with what it is you believe to be the truth about Christianity. And why you think that's really the way to go. But you're 19 years old, you're 20 years old, you're 23 years old. So I love you and I'm praying for you. And, and, and you just need to know that no matter what... Jesus has got his arms waiting open for you, like the father for the prodigal. That's great hope in that. Right? But as parents, we want them all. But I don't know about anybody else here, but there's some things in my life, pretty much for the, my entire life, that have not always gone the, the way I had them drawn up. Has that ever happened to anybody else in this? Does that help? Can we thank Trey again for his time with us? Let me uh, close with prayer and let you all go. God, thank you again so much for Trey and his time and his ministry, Lord, and his hearing your call and uh, just the clear call that you placed in his life to proclaim your gospel, to make Jesus visible, and that call is in all of our lives to make Jesus visible. Help us to clothe, uh, to put on the clothes of compassion and and uh, to forgiveness and and grace and love, which binds everything together. God, help us to be the people that uh, know that others will know we are Christians by our love and by the compassion we show and the forgiveness we offer, knowing that we have been forgiven much, and so we are willing to forgive others with the same forgiveness we've received from you. Thank you, Lord, for the words of truth that have come to through Trey to us today and help us to take them to heart that we might be forever changed and guide Trey home and bless him as he continues to lead Grace Presbyterian Church in Houston. And uh, guide us all, Lord, as we seek to be a light of your love. In your son's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you all. I've had a ball. God bless you.